Welcome to the Health is Wealth podcast. I'm Nicole Nelson, founder of Living Well with Nick, health coach and entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you the tools, strategies, and motivational stories that will move you to take inspired action. It's time to break through fear and elevate your life. So get ready to feel inspired. After all, your health is your greatest wealth. You're listening to the Health is Wealth podcast episode number 11. Today's episode is an amazing discussion with integrative and functional medicine doctor, Cassie Wilder. We're talking all about hormones, what they really are, how to balance them naturally, hormonal birth control, and more. Cassie is a walking book of knowledge and sheds some light on common myths about what it really means to have balanced hormones and a healthy cycle. Are you ready? Let's dive in. I'm thrilled to have you on the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. I feel like I've been thinking about this episode since I launched the podcast because you are such a wealth of knowledge when it comes to functional medicine. So I, I just know that this episode is going to be so valuable to everyone <laughs> listening. So let's start out first by just introducing who you are. Who is Dr. Cassie Wilder? Um, what's your background? And what is your area of expertise? Yeah, so I am a Minneapolis transplant. I came here from Kansas City, Missouri, by way of like every state in the United States. And I actually fell in love with Minnesota when I came here, but I um, I came here from Arizona, which is where I did my medical school training. So I have a doctorate of naturopathic medicine. And a good way to explain our program is it's more like a hybrid degree. So we get two years of you know, um, clinical knowledge. We get um, general medical diagnosis, how to read x-rays, how to read MRIs, um, how to refer to specialists if needed and recognizing diseases. We did cadaver lab. Um, hmm. And yeah, but then those second two years, we're learning, okay, how do you prescribe a high blood pressure medication for a person if they need to be safe and effective today? But then what's the long-term strategy for this person? Do they really need to be on this medication for the rest of their life? Can we do lifestyle, dietary, herbs? Um, can we do a bunch of different stuff for them to help um, you know, further the same goal and then eventually get them off of that medication? And that's kind of the whole um, goal, I would say, of naturopathic medicine is first treat the root cause. So first you have to find the root cause, which typically does use some, use a lot of, I will take that back, conventional mm -hmm. medicine. So use a lot of labs, diagnostics, urine testing, blood testing, stool testing, breath testing, I mean, whatever sample you want to give, we'll test for something. <laughs> Probably um, some are more enjoyable to test than others. I, yes. <laughs> I always get that, the side eye, you want me to do what? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, trust uh, me, this is for your own benefit. You will thank me. Yeah. The FedEx man has no idea you're handing him a poop sample. Oh, that's right hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so really using the best of conventional medicine to figure out what the heck the root cause is, what's going on, what's the imbalance, but then using the best of holistic, alternative, whatever complementary care term you want to use to... Mm -hmm. To really fix that problem. So making good lifestyle switches, you know, getting them meditating, getting them sleeping, stopping looking at your phone 30 minutes before bed, you know, all the good things. And then, um, you know, utilizing herbs and nutrition and exercise and all the things we know are good for us, but these mm -hmm. things can be medicinal. And so using them in a, a way to overcome those diseases. 
So when you were deciding on your career path in college, what made you want to go more of the functional medicine route versus, um, I'll just call it the regular medical route for lack of a better word. I went the traditional medical route all the way up until I graduated with my undergrad from Iowa State. And it was actually during that last year that I did an eight month rotation with a gastroenterologist. And it was fascinating. It was really awesome. He was a great doctor. Um, but honestly, maybe I was super naive, but it didn't feel like we were really doing anything. Hmm. It'd be like, send this patient to a procedure or let's run these labs. Oh, those labs are normal. Or, oh, let's, you know, get this person over to this referral. And sometimes I would sit back and say like, we haven't diagnosed or treated anyone today. We've just really like ushered them around to other different places, um, but not really done anything. And Mm -hmm. so it kind of felt like, okay, well, you know, they have obviously a GI problem, but why were the GI specialists? I mean, I wasn't, but I was there. Why aren't we doing anything for them? And, you know, sometimes he would say, well, nutrition is the dietitian's job or, you know, movement is the PT's job or, you know, something is someone else's job, which really kind of felt like, well, if what she's eating is making her worse, isn't that your job? Obviously, mm-hmm. I never said this out loud, right. but my brain, that's kind of my, my, my little naive heart thought. And so I actually withdrew my applications and my interviews from conventional medical school and decided to go to, um, well, A, I decided to not do anything because I didn't know what to do. I wanted to be a doctor and I wanted that level of like privilege and knowledge and skill set and responsibility for a person's life, but I wasn't going to do it in the conventional setting. Then I figured, found out about naturopathic medicine probably about eight months later. And literally it was, I found out about what it was from a conference at the beginning of November, applied in the middle of November because I had already had the prereqs, already taken the entrance exams. I had already done everything I needed to. And then by the end of uh, November, I flew to Arizona. I got into school, got, accepted my admissions in the middle of December and started January 2nd. It oh was like, my gosh. <laughs> it was like, as soon as I knew this is exactly like what I needed to be doing with my life, it was like a fire burning inside me and I just had to do it. And I have never looked back, back since. That is the best feeling. It was amazing. <laughs> oh. And so kind of stemming off of that, what prompted you after you went through that program to want to start your own practice? Did that that spark kind of come to you during school, after school? Tell me about that. I would say that it never really came to me until I did my internship. So I did a year and a half internship in cardiology. And those patients, the doc was really big picture, which actually coming to find out, I'm pretty big picture person too, with a little more inclination for details. However, he would say like, yeah, you need to reduce inflammation. You know, let's get you on an anti-inflammatory diet. Here's a handout. See you in six weeks. Tell me how you did. Mm-hmm. And being the intern, the patients would email back or call back or need support or need help. And it was me, since I was free, was doing all of this work in between visits for him. And I loved it. I learned, I literally learned so much about how to help people and how to coach people through things. But it really did make me think long and hard about, okay, well, if I want to start a practice, I, I would go out of business if I did all, you know, 20 hours a week of free work in between visits because you're only getting paid for in-person time. Um, and so that really kind of sparked my interest in how do you create a business? How do you create something that will allow you to give that like unparalleled care to someone, that support in between visits, that just like 
unlimited accountability for them, but not, you know, not go broke. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's like the the business mindset piece. And so I was pretty adamant that I was going to start a business because no other business in the Twin Cities was practicing this way. And I just did it. And I learned very quickly. Good for you. Lots of, lots of Googling and Googling. I got to people. Yep. I got a score mentor. I hired a couple business coaches, you know, in succession. I didn't do Mm -hmm. it all at the same time. Um, Got a lot of like knocking on doors, you know, pumping anyone for business advice that I possibly could. You Mm -hmm. know, when I had a problem, then I would try to find the professional that would help me. Um, But you know, learning that I actually have a really big passion for business and I have a really big passion for creating and, you know, growing a business that I can do that simultaneously with my medical practice too. Isn't that cool? I think I realized that too, starting my business, I didn't realize how much of a passion I had for business and entrepreneurship in general. And I think it's one of those things where some people don't realize it until you you're creating this thing like it's kind of your baby that you're birthing <laughs> into the world and i just remember like the first couple months that i was um a full-time entrepreneur i was like wow this is great like i just want to sit down and learn everything there is to know about this space and i think one thing you mentioned about finding a coach finding people that you can go to for those questions because no one has all the answers. It doesn't matter what entrepreneur industry you are in. People are just doing their best and they're, they're figuring out the rest through the internet and through word of mouth, through other experts. And I think it's a good lesson to not put all the pressure on yourself to know everything. And if you don't know something, there's someone else out there who might know another person who knows another person who knows how they can help you. Um, and that's kind of how we connected years ago yeah, through social media, through Instagram. 100%. We met at a coffee shop and realized that we both had a passion for um, functional, just living in general and holistic living and even putting like that aside business and running a business in general. Yeah. I actually remember the day we were at the spy house I in do too. North Loop <laughs> yes. and you were like, I'm quitting my job and I'm going to be a full-time entrepreneur. I was like, oh, oh my gosh. gosh. That's yeah. right. I was still working full time. Uh huh. You were still working full time. I remember, like, you were like, "Don't tell anyone yet because yes. I haven't done it." I was like, "Yay! You're gonna love it so much." <laughs> Look at how, and that was what a year. It had to have been a year and a half ago, over a year mm-hmm. and a half ago. And look how far both of us have come. Right? Oh. It's amazing. <laughs> so, going back to your practice that you've created, what is a typical appointment with you? What does that look like? And who are you generally seeing? Who's your ideal client that's coming through the doors? Yeah. So um, a typical appointment looks like a lot of talking and a lot of laughing. Um, (laughs) So my appointments range from the first one being 90 minutes. So a lot of talking, meaning like I like the long visits. I prefer the long visits because I like people to hear their stories. So I always like to say the devil's in the details and I really need you to explain, you know, more about what you're going through. So say you're coming in for anxiety. Anxiety is a really great term, you know, to explain what you're going through, but I want to know, you know, do you have palpitations? Um, Do you have like the mental rumination, like the wheels are just turning, you know, what is it about your anxiety that's really troubling to you? Um, And then also, 
you know, when does your anxiety get worse? When does it get better? So I, I literally want all these details from you mm -hmm. about this one particular symptom. We'll move on to the next symptom. We'll do the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. um, it, Cause it really is, it, it matters how you describe it and it matters how, you know, what's, a, what is it affected by? It matters what you've tried, what's worked, what hasn't worked. It all is clues. And those clues just kind of lead us to um, a place to start with testing. Most of my patients have never had in-depth testing before. And they'll even say like, my doctor ran a ton of tests on me last time and I'll go back through the tests I had last time. And it's like their blood count. And I'm like, oh, well, it looks like you have enough red blood cells. Great. Okay. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Not the problem. So I will say that not, most of my patients have never had that in-depth testing before. And so then it leads us to say, okay, which testing is right for you? Because as much as I love data as the next person, it's expensive to get that mm -hmm. much data. Um, and especially if it's not going to guide or lead or change our treatment plan. So um, a lot of talking, a lot of talking, um, a lot of you asking questions, high mileage questions. I like to call them high mileage questions because you can ask yeah. someone, um, you know, what's causing your anxiety and they give you an answer and then you dig a de little deeper and then deeper and deeper. And yep. it's like, like you said, in those details, that's where you figure out what the problem is. It starts at this like high level issue. And then once you ask 10 questions or like the same question, 10 different ways, that's when you really get to the answer. Yep. hundred percent. And it allows you to figure out like, what are our obstacles to cure here? Right. Do you have some emotional eating in your background? Mm -hmm. um, do you have limited finances? Do you get an upset stomach when you take too many herbs at one time? You know, what are some obstacles that we have here that we need to take into account? And then how do we shape a plan for you? So I would say one of the things that I love about my job is that even though I do typically see similar conditions over and over again, um, I will say that each person is so dramatically different and they manifest in completely similar, but different ways that it keeps things really fun and interesting. I, well, and I bet that's fun from a, like a curiosity standpoint, like it keeps yeah. you on your toes. It's a new challenge every day. Yeah. I have a oh. patient and I'll never forget. She called me the Nancy Drew of naturopathic medicine. Oh and I was God. like, that is a that's a very good explanation of me because I'm just perpetually curious and I'm just going to keep digging until we figure out what the heck's going on and what's going to work for us. So that should be a tagline I on should. your Instagram or your website. I'm dead serious. She just gave you like the perfect slogan. I know, right? <laughs> so for a typical week for you, are you seeing patients all day, every day, Monday through Friday, or what's, what's like a typical week for you? I see patients on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Um, I like to segment it up um, because I'm the type of person that um, enjoys time blocking and enjoys being organized with what I do on certain days. So my brain can stay in that, um, that you know, frame of mind. So mm -hmm. medicine for me is such a mindset of being in a place of like critical thinking and asking questions and being curious and keeping my brain you know, full of the medical terminology um, it's such a frame of mind for me that I do have to keep it separate from the days that I do business. So mm -hmm. I do a lot of business and admin stuff on Mondays. Um, Y'all typically wake up a little bit later on Mondays, get to a coffee shop by like 7.38. Um, I'll start working on creative things. So I'll do a lot of my Instagram planning, a lot of my blog writing. Um, I'll do a lot of like the creative based aspects of my business on Mondays. And then do more in the afternoon of like QuickBooks and mm -hmm. <laughs> like accounting and budgeting and going over. I mean, I still do all of that for our business now. And so I like to keep that separate. And then on Wednesdays, I do a lot of networking. So I'll go have coffee with other business owners. I'll 
sometimes have my own personal appointments that day, but it's mm-hmm. mostly Wednesday is my like social day. That's so. awesome. And it's kind of nice, right? In the middle of the week, you get a little brain yep. break in a way. And yep. so do you find that running your own business and being a doctor, is that hard to balance? Not for me. Okay. It could be. I could for sure see it could be difficult for someone, but I, A, I like being busy. And mm-hmm. so it keeps you busy in all facets. Um, but then I also love the difference in business and being a doctor. Like there's such big differences between the two that your brain won't get, or like I wouldn't get from one or the other. So I actually really enjoy the mixture. So I probably, I don't have plans to go over three days a week. Yeah. Um, and I'll probably, instead of going over three days a week, you know, add more, um, physicians, add more staff so that I can, um, still see the same level of patients or I can have, you know, see, uh, have more people seek care in our office, mm-hmm. but not have to personally be me. Awesome. And stemming off of the like entrepreneurial side of it, what would you say just thinking high level is your favorite part about owning your own business, being in control of everything? What's your favorite part about being an entrepreneur? Getting to control the patient or the client experience. So I don't know if you've ever like been in a place where you're like, wow, I would have like, you know, rearranged this so people can walk better around the store or like, oh man, that customer service representative was really rude. I would have probably approached it a different way. You know, as the entrepreneur, as a business owner, you control that. And so the whole experience, you can make sure that people are getting a really quality experience from you, starting from the person that answers your, or the, I mean, the person that designs your website, honestly, to the person who does your Instagram, Mm -hmm. the person who answers your phone to the way your office looks and the way that you treat someone. So having that level of control over someone, you know, that comes to your business, they're more than likely mostly going to get a good experience. You know, there's obviously we're humans, but um, that you get to control that. That's probably my favorite part about being an entrepreneur is like, you know, you can change things if things are not going well. You know what I love about that answer is I feel like I hear most people say, and this is probably what I would say too, is, <laughs> you know, we have all this freedom. We get to yeah. choose our schedule. Every day is different. It's, it's exciting, but that's coming from a more selfish place. And what you just said is really a place of service. Like, putting your patients first, putting your potential clients first, thinking about their experience before they even start working with you one-on-one. And I think that is the key to being successful is having that servant um, mindset and thinking about how you can serve more people and how you can serve them better and provide the best experience. So I think you kind of of nailed it on the head of like your secret to being successful is thinking – very critically about how you can make the best experience for your clients. I mean, the free time's great. Don't get me wrong. It is. You know, whenever you (laughs) want to take a holiday, I'll joke. My husband has to go to work and I'll be like, my boss said that I get the day off (laughs) as you're still sleeping, petting your dog. And Mm -hmm. that's awesome. Don't get me wrong. It's amazing. But uh, yeah, I actually find that it's kind of um, a lot of people talk about being an entrepreneur and having so much free time. And then I kind of giggle and I'm like, oh man, if I wasn't an entrepreneur, I would have so much more free time. Yeah. I, <laughs> I get a question like, does your, do you ever like wake up and you're like, huh, 
what should I do today? And you ever feel bored? I'm like, no, when that day comes, I'll let you know. But the day you become an entrepreneur and start a business, you have an ongoing to-do list of like a hundred things just swirling around. I'm sitting at the counter right now and I have just like this list of post-its out on the counter because anytime something comes to mind, I just have to write it down. Even if it's like six months down the road, you're like the wheels are constantly going. Yep. No, it, it for sure is. And honestly, I think the biggest struggle with that too is that there's always fires. I call them fires when they yeah. come up and like something immediately needs your attention. So it takes you away from your to-do list, fight this fire and then come back. But then you've just lost what, whatever amount of time. So Exactly, exactly. Okay, so let's shift gears from the business side and let's talk a little bit about hormones. I know we talked about this before uh, we started recording the show, how I'm fascinated by hormone balancing and having conversations with friends about um, balancing their hormones, getting off of birth control, all of that. So let's start just by kind of explaining what it means to have balanced hormones, I guess, for maybe a female, if we could focus on females, um, what that means from like an estrogen, testosterone perspective, kind of give me a high level. Yeah. So technically a hormone is just a chemical messenger that turns things on and off. So insulin is a hormone. Um, You know, hormones we typically talk about in females as like progesterone, estrogen, testosterone, but technically like thyroids are hormones and Hmm. cortisol is a hormone. So when I talk about hormonal balance, I always like to back that up and look at the whole picture um, of what all their hormones are doing. So obviously if they're complaining about like, um, or let's just start with like coming off hormonal birth control because that's a really common thing that's happening right now. Um, women are stopping the pill, they're pulling out the progestin-based IUDs, um, and then those things have prevented ovulation for the amount of time that they're on. There are women out there who just bounce back. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to say that every woman has an issue because not all women do have issues bouncing back from them and kind of regaining their hormonal status, but those things do suppress your own body's natural output of hormones. So, giving your body estrogen um, will suppress ovulation, but it's also your, your natural levels of estrogen aren't going to be as high. Um, so then when you stop it, your body has to go back and remember, oh yeah, every you know, 28 days we release an egg and mm-hmm. oh, that egg then you know, has to mature over 90 days, but it hasn't been maturing over 90 days, which is typically why women don't have, or they have really erratic cycles for 30 to, 30 to 90 days after they get off. Um, can I ask a quick question about that? Yeah. So what is happening inside of the body when you're on an IUD or or a birth control pill, what is happening internally every month? Like when you should be getting your period. So a lot of the women will do the placebo weeks. So they'll have three weeks of estrogen, one week of like a white pill or a different colored pill, and that's no hormones. And so when you remove that estrogen stimulation, you'll, um, you'll, the lining will shed. It's not actually a true period. It's not a Hmm. real bleed. Um, And they're actually finding clinical research that most women don't need that bleed week um, and that they can just continue taking estrogen throughout the entire entirety of the month and never have a cycle ever again. Um, a lot of women think like, oh, that's stale blood or whatnot sitting up there. And it, right. it's, really, it's really not like that. Um, those the circle, um, the arteries that supply that endometrial lining will actually constrict and they won't provide more blood. 
Um, so you're really, it's not getting like stale and gross. Um, so are your hormones still fluctuating during nope. the month? Not at all. Okay. Nope. They're staying completely, um, completely the same. So they're okay. just really, um, the same level the entire month, because typically what we see is going to be days one through 14. Your estrogen is, um, it's not definitely not low, but it's not, um, super high. So it's moderate. Um, days 14 is really when you're supposed to ovulate. And so after you ovulate, that egg kicks off the progesterone release from both itself, the egg, and from the ovary. And so your progesterone shoots way up, goes really high. Um, if we looked at blood labs, it should be around 15 hmm. um, if you looked at the, the serum values, where estrogen is supposed to be about 150, but actually for estrogen, that's moderately, uh, moderately low. So you're not supposed to have a whole lot of uh, per, or estrogen stimulation during that period of time because estrogen's main duty is to thicken that layer back up, and it's hmm. already done that. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're, that progesterone is going to keep that layer thick and juicy. And when that egg, if it does get fertilized, it has a nice, warm, comfortable place to implant in and keep going. So can you explain over the course of your cycle, I was talking about this with a friend earlier today. So you have a, a luteal phase, is that what it's luteal, called? Luteal, yeah. Luteal. Um, what are the other two phases again? Nope. There's only two. So there's follicular and luteal. Okay. What, what is happening in those two phases? Because we were, I was chatting with a friend about like energy levels and emotions and how, you know, one week, um, will feel really mentally sharp, physically strong, energized. And then the next week it's like all that is depleted. So what's happening in those two phases? Yep. So the follicular phase is when your egg is maturing um, and it's about ready to try to come out. So that's going to be those first two weeks of your cycle. And then you ovulate and the egg pops out and then you get the luteal phase of your cycle. And that luteal phase is going to be where your progesterone is really high. Progesterone is very cool, calming, nourishing. It's very water-based. So women do generally feel a sense of calm. And, um, and this is going to be during that probably so the week leading up to your period is a free for all because some in some women, if they have uh, progesterone deficiency or uh, poor quality eggs or or something of the sort, that week right before their cycle, they're going to have issues with um, keeping their progesterone nice and high where it should be to continue um, that cycle or that phase. And so what we see is that during that luteal phase, women can get really calm and um, just really like the creative energy isn't really flowing because it's very cool, calming and nourishing. In those first two weeks of your your cycle, you have more estrogen than progesterone. And so estrogen is very hot, fiery, stimulating. So a lot of women do feel more energized and they feel a lot better and they feel more creative and just more, it's kind of like yin and yang. If, uh, you know, if estrogen is that yang, the very hot and fiery and progesterone is very yin, that cool calming, um, you really do have that cycle of like hot to cold, hot to cold each month. That's fascinating. I am seriously going to start paying more attention because- I've, I've recently noticed there's just like a hard cutoff, like everything Uh just shifts in a day or two. And I'm like, huh, what happened (laughs) last week at this time? I had way more energy than I do now, or, you know, like the, the creativity was just flowing. And now all of a sudden I'm at like a dead end. So it's, it's kind of smart to strategically plan certain things around your cycle and what's happening during that time, like social things or, different business tasks that you're doing. 
Um, if you can, if you, if you can track it that closely, I think that'd be a smart thing to do. Yeah. I think some women already do, but that's generally because they know the week before their period, they're having a lot of PMS symptoms. Oh, sure. And so they just kind of are down for the count during that week or, you know, patients with endometriosis during that, the week of their cycle, when, you know, the uh, layer is shedding and they're having cramping that encourages that lining to shed, they're kind of down for the count that week. So some women actually do plan all of their life around their cycles, which as a clinician kind of saddens me in terms of like their Mm. physical abilities, because there's so much stuff in natural medicine outside of being on the pill that you can do to make those symptoms disappear or balance out those hormones. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest step is figuring out what those hormone levels are. Um, One of my biggest pet peeves in medicine is when we hear like, oh, you've got really heavy period and lots of cramps. You must be estrogen dominant. You need to take dim and decrease your estrogen. And I'm like, whoa, hold the phone. Yeah. I have seen it plenty of times where their estrogen is actually suboptimal as well. And their progesterone is just way, way suboptimal. Mm. And in that case, depleting a woman's estrogen can throw her into like hot flashes and night sweats <laughs> and like make her feel like she's going through menopause. And it may be temporary, just a few yeah. months, but that's not fixing the problem at all. That's just creating another side effect. Um, so that's why I really encourage, and actually uh, I don't treat without labs in terms mm-hmm. of hormones because it's so imperative that you know what that balance is in order to give the right treatment plan. So another thing that you can tell if you run an FSH and LH, those are your brain to ovary hormones that say, get the egg ready and release it. If those are you know, above three to five, which they're supposed to be nice and low during day 19 through 21 of your cycle, you can say, oh, wow, there might be a little miscommunication between your brain and your ovaries, a little bit of strain in that pathway that's not allowing that egg to mature properly. Or when it is released, um, it might not be secreting its own source of progesterone as much because your progesterone is really low. Mm -hmm. So you can really kind of hunker down and get a little bit more details from these labs than just like, your progesterone is X, your, you know, your estrogen is Y, like you can get a lot more detail and kind of paint a picture of what your hormonal picture looks like. What are the typical symptoms of someone having a hormonal imbalance that they might recognize before they reach out to you? Um, So PMS is obviously a really big one, except for a lot of women think that PMS is totally normal. Um, Okay. That was going to be my question. So it's not normal. Um, so I would say what's not normal is causing a ton of like, if it's affecting your life, if it's affecting your personal life. So yeah. we should be having this conversation, staring at each other. I could be having menstrual cramps right now and you would have zero idea. Right. That right. would be considered normal. Not um, like that, I need to go home from work because I'm throwing up or whatever. Or taking, you know, 200 milligrams, 400 milligrams of ibuprofen mm-hmm. every four hours to manage it. Um, mm-hmm. That's definitely not normal. Um, in the, uh, American Academy of Gynecology and Obstetrics, they say that 30 to 50 milliliters of blood per week is considered normal and over 80 milliliters is considered heavy flow. And if you think about a super tampon can actually hold 12 milliliters of blood, if it's fully saturated, you can go through, um, I usually round it down to 10 because most women change it for sanitary purposes before it gets, um, Mm -hmm. too bad or before it gets fully saturated. And so if you think about that, that's three to five super tampons a week mm-hmm. in your in your period. There are women going, and I'll hear them all the time, like, oh yeah, my flow is pretty heavy, but no big deal. I'm bleeding through a 
you know, a super tampon and a pad that I'm putting there every single hour. And oh, like, but it's no big deal. And I'm just like, you are hemorrhaging. That is called hemorrhage. Like yeah. that is, that's a lot. <laughs> and they're just like, oh, it's been like that my entire life. I was like, that doesn't mean that it's mm-hmm. okay, but we're not taught that, right? We're not taught anything in school about flow rates. And right. you know, we're taught that like, yeah, you get cramps, but that's okay. I would say, so flow rate cramps are probably the two biggest things you can notice in yourself. Okay. Anxiety. Um, a lot of people that are just suffering with um, daily anxiety and it gets worse right before their cycle will seek help. Hmm. Um, and then things like, for, I get a lot of preconception. Um, I don't do specific fertility work in terms of if you've, you've been trying for quite a while and need some additional support with that. I don't typically um, do like fertility management, but preconception, looking at your hormones, um, I for sure love to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and just like getting your body ready and figuring out what it needs before you start trying. Yeah. That's a fun time. So when it comes to, I guess in an ideal world, having balanced hormones, if I could sum it up, correct me if I'm wrong, but mm-hmm. it should, your period and your cycle should just feel like a normal occurrence, right? It shouldn't be super uncomfortable. Um, You should be able to tell that you're going through something, but like you said, it shouldn't be affecting the quality of your life. For sure. And I can tell you from working as a clinician in the field and a person who who has gotten to that level of just my own personal cycles, Mm -hmm. it is attainable and it is real and it can, and it can definitely be, um, it can definitely be achieved, even in patients who have endometriosis, patients who have PCOS, um, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome, having a normal cycle, normal ovulation schedule, and Mm -hmm. a non-debilitating week of your life is 100% attainable without Mm -hmm. hormonal birth control. Can we touch briefly on the negative side effects of hormonal birth control? Sure. And Um, just why why (laughs) if you, I mean, I don't want to like, send a message out there that if you're on it, you should get off of it tomorrow, but why you should consider that it might be a safe and healthy option to get off of hormonal birth birth control. Right. I always like to have the conversation, like start the conversation with, um, you know, not being on hormonal birth control. And if you would like to still not get pregnant takes work, right? (laughs) You have to like track your cycles. Yep. Um, a lot of patients all encouraged to do like basal body temperature tracking, mm-hmm. cervical mucus tracking. Like there's going to be a window of time when you ovulate that your libido just goes sky high and that's your fertility window. And if mm-hmm. you don't want to get pregnant, you got to avoid that or be extra careful. So I always like to start the conversation with not getting pregnant without hormonal birth control is, is work. And if you're not mm-hmm. willing to put in the work and you don't want a baby, then potentially it is a better option for you to continue doing what you're doing. And that's why that's fine with me. But I will say that I've seen a lot of women on hormonal birth control. There's a lot, there are studies out there that show it will increase your inflammation markers. So markers like HSCRP, which is a generalized inflammation marker in your body um, that can contribute to things like muscle pain, um, insulin resistance, uh, weight gain, lower, lowering your testosterone levels. Um, it can contribute to a lot of other downstream pathways. Mm-hmm. Um, it does bleed your micronutrients. So things like selenium, your B vitamins, um, it can definitely um, start to deplete nutri- magnesium, de- nutrients that you actually need in your life to do a lot of other biochemical processes. Um, they've actually found that it will alter your microbiome. So it can mm. actually change the quality of bacteria that are in your gut. 
Um, and then changing that can also exacerbate things like anxiety and depression. Um, they're finding that the bacteria in your gut are more associated with like, or certain ones are associated with weight gain, certain ones are associated with weight loss. So that could be a piece. And then also they're finding that it will change, uh, hormonal birth control can change your brain chemistry to actually change your mate selection. I've like, heard that. You've heard that? Yeah. Yes. That it, <laughs> that it could change the way that you look at the opposite sex and how you perceive them as like, you know, a good partner. Yeah. Yeah. I, my I friend. Think, yeah, you were the friend, person. You were the one oh, that told yes. that. Okay. Uh, I'm like, I feel like this is deja vu. My friend Lexi and I, we were having this conversation and she's like, yeah, so make sure that before you get married, just get off of hormonal birth control. Just in the event you have these, these feelings that come up and you're like, um, why am I with this person again? <laughs> I mean, that's incredible to me how something that you're putting into your body can have that dramatic of effect on you. It, yeah. it kind of blows my mind. It's a little scary. <laughs> it is. And I think that I'm okay with hormonal birth control as long as it's an informed choice. Mm -hmm. So having that conversation of, yeah, these are things that can happen to you. And as long as you're willing to accept this, the side effects, that's, that's totally yeah. fine. Yeah. As long as the conversation is being had and we're not dismissing it like, oh no, that's quackery or, yeah. oh no, that's not true. Or, oh, that, that's not going to apply to you or, or something. I think that's mm -hmm. BS. And mm -hmm. even if it happens in 1% of the population, why should we not tell people about right. it? Right. Right. Um, it's just informed choice. So when people are in the process of coming off of hormonal birth control, do you recommend that they come in for some type of testing to get just like a baseline of where their hormones are during this transitional period? Because you mentioned that different people will transition differently. Some people bounce back right away. Some people it takes longer. Would having that lab testing done during this transitional phase, would that be helpful to know you know, what you should be eating, different lifestyle changes you should be making? I would say that in terms of hormone-based labs, no, we wait 60 to 90 days. Um, oh, 60 days okay. start right away, 90 days if you don't start back up right away, um, because it does take a little bit for your body to rebalance. And um, we more do that because we have standards that we um, like to apply, apply them to, or to, um, what's the word? Now I'm like, um, compare them to, right? Sure. So we know that your estrogen progesterone is supposed to be a 10 to one ratio during days 19 through 21. Like we know all of these different, um, standards and reference ranges. And so we like to see what yours is in comparison. Um, that's why we don't do hormone testing at just like random days of the month. Mm. Uh, we, we keep to day three or we go to day 19 through 21 because we do have clinical standards of what they're supposed to be. We can compare it to what yours is. So, okay. um, we generally don't do it right away. Things like micronutrients, inflammation, um, you know, your vitamin D levels, your testosterone isn't typically changed with hormones. So we can do that. Um, so there are other ones, insulin, you know, blood sugar, we can do a lot of other ones that are not hormones based mm -hmm. or during that window. Um, but typically it's hard to convince people to get multiple blood draws. So uh, we just, yep, we just wait. Um, so someone who does inquire about they want to come off hormonal birth control and they want to get some labs done, 
I'll generally reply back, hey, let's wait 60 to 90 days before scheduling your new patient appointment. And so that when, you know, you're, you're, you kind of time up then with when you get labs done. Okay. Um, during that time, I usually offer some support of like, you know, make sure that you're doing an anti-inflammatory based diet, mm-hmm. um, do some progesterone supportive things like red raspberry leaf tea. Um, some people do, um, and this would more apply to the estrogen based birth controls and the progestin based. Most people bounce back easier from progestin based because they're not, they don't include estrogen. Um, and estrogen can cause a lot of liver, uh, like liver congestion and slow down detoxification pathways and stuff. So we'll work on some like liver things, um, you know, drinking dandelion tea, doing some Mm -hmm. like, you know, liver supportive milk thistle herbs, things like that. Um, and I'll just generally point them in the right direction of like, what can you do on your own without me in the meantime? And then let's come back and get those tests done. And, and that's actually one of the things I try to use Instagram for too, is like, you know, if you really wanted to DIY hack your health, like check out my blogs and just like read through all of them because I tried to make it so that you really wanted to DIY hack it, like Mm -hmm. the information's there. So speaking of, you mentioned food and some things that you can do on your own. Yeah. Um, Let's say you, you don't want to get lab testing done right now, but you want to make sure you're eating a diet that supports balancing your hormones. And I know that's like a very loose term. (laughs) You don't know the numbers you're working with, but is there a general list of foods you could suggest that people incorporate into their diets to quote unquote, help balance their hormones? So all of your hormones are actually made from cholesterol. So focusing on getting enough fats in your diet is going to be a key. It's going to be huge. Um, I do encourage people to look at the quality of healthy fats that they're taking in. So, you know, extra virgin olive oil, avocados, um, nuts and seeds, things like that, you know, fish, uh, omega-3 fatty fishes, um, things like that are going to be the biggest that I would recommend in terms of, okay, how do we get the, just the value, the level of hormone that you have, how do we increase that? Well, increasing that you give it more precursor, which means that you're giving it more cholesterol. Um, I also don't think cholesterol is a dirty word, so that's Mm -hmm. a whole nother story, but, um, So that's going to be one of the biggest ones. I will say that most women in our society today take on too much, whether that's emotionally, whether that's physically, um, whether that's through their job, they're taking on a lot and they're usually a some level of adrenal stress. So either a dysfunctional cortisol rhythm of either it's too low or too high. And so I generally do recommend a moderate amount of carbohydrates added to their diet as well, because prolonged fasting will actually make, um, if you go fasting for a while, your blood sugar will go down. And when you get into that hypoglycemic range, your body uses cortisol to shoot your um, blood sugar back up. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have a whole lot of cortisol to begin with, to be like doing all the other SHIT that it's supposed to be doing, <laughs> then you, then um, it's going to decrease that even further. So you should really uh, moderate amount of carbohydrates, focus on really healthy fats, um, a lot of green vegetables, cruciferous vegetables are actually one of the highest vegetables high in DIM and I3C, which oh, are the, yeah. So that's are, like your broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage. Yep. Got it. Those are going to support phase one detoxification through the liver. Mm-hmm. And so just being able to support that um, could really help uh, go a long way. So healthy fats, um, cruciferous vegetables and phase one detoxification, and then moderate amount of carbohydrates in your diet. Okay. Last hormonal question, because I've been hearing a lot about a lot of talk around seed cycling. Yeah. And I'd love to get your take on it. Um, I 
personally, I feel like I've tried it maybe once. I just mm-hmm. think it's a lot to remember and I need to just get my own cycle down and know like which phase is which, when I sh- what I should be eating what. But in your professional opinion, does it do anything and is it worth like looking into and actually seed cycling? I love it. Okay. Um, so actually sometimes patients who we need to wait a little bit of time before we can get hormonal labs done, but we want to start something sooner rather than later. I find that seed cycling. Um, so one thing that it does is your, and kind of backing up a little bit is that your body has estrogen progesterone uh, receptors that, you know, the hormone will be mingling around in your blood. It'll find a receptor that it can attach to, and then it'll satisfy that receptor. And so something that seeds can do is also satisfy that receptor to a lower degree than your natural hormone will, but it can still, the the phytoestrogens that are in a lot of those seeds or even the progesterone supportive compounds that are going to be in the progesterone supportive herbs or seeds, I'm sorry, um, can go and satisfy those same receptors. And so they can help mitigate a lot of the symptoms involved in hormonal balance, but I haven't found them to change like frank values. So I have never seen them like, you know, you're taking a lot of sesame seeds or sunflower seeds and they like skyrocket your amount of progesterone. I've never seen that but I have seen it be really helpful in kind of mitigating some of the symptoms involved in hormonal balance, especially if we have to wait a little bit before Mm -hmm. we can get labs and start something a little stronger. Um, So which seeds are associated with which phase? Yep. So it's, it is about the seed, but it actually, it's about the oil on the inside of the seed. Oh, okay. And so during that follicular phase, during phase one or stage, or sorry, ah, days one through 14 or days one through 13 is going to be um, flax, chia, and pumpkin seeds. You can choose. You don't have to do all of them. Okay. Uh, a lot of people do pumpkin because you can get the little like pepitas from mm-hmm. Trader Joe's and then you can chew them and chew them as like grinding them. And then it releases the oil that's on the inside. You swallow that and it's really the oil that helps with the seed cycling portion of it. Um, flax and chia, you have to freshly grind them and then the oil goes rancid after like one to two days mm. if you don't keep it in the fridge. So uh, from a practical standpoint, unless you're fresh grinding chia and flax every couple of days, which I've never tried to chew flax seeds before, but that sounds Awful. Yeah. Okay. What I do <laughs> is I buy a large bag of it that's not ground yet and I keep it in the freezer. Yep. And every, I actually make a batch of it ground. So I'm actually going to stop doing that because I'm probably only getting like the fresh batch the first day I use it. Yep. But ideally, what you should be doing, you're saying, is measure out however much you need for that sitting, quick grind it up, yeah. right? Or the next like, two to three days. So if you keep it in the fridge, it could probably last like three days. Okay. Um, but yeah, I would say like do it, you know, Sunday until Wednesday, Wednesday until Sunday, like do it two times a week. Um, but it's probably the reason people like doing the pumpkin seeds the best because grinding it equals chewing it. And if you chew it well enough, you get the benefits. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's going to be the first two weeks of your cycle. And that's when estrogen is supposed to be at its highest or supposed to be higher than progesterone. And so those are really phytoestrogenic seeds. Okay. Um, Yeah. And pumpkin. Yep. And it's, uh, two tablespoons once a day. Got it. Um, and then that second two weeks of your cycle is going to be progesterone and that's when it's supposed to be at its highest. So we do sesame and sunflower during those two weeks. Okay. It's two tablespoons of those as well. And same rules apply with freshly grinding them. And then sunflower seeds, you can just get like the easy, the inside of the seed and chew those up and they taste pretty good. 
And I know, I don't know about sunflower and sesame seeds, but flax, chia, and pumpkin. I love sprinkling pumpkin seeds on my smoothies, my smoothie. And I add flax and chia seeds to my smoothies all the time. So these are also things where you don't have to just sit down and chew them if you don't want to. Like you could blend them up with a shake or whatever and enjoy them that way. 100%. Yeah, you don't have to. um, Sometimes, actually, I'll just tell people, this is how I do it. Um, When I was doing it, I would put it like a little bowl of them on my counter on my way out the door. And then two tablespoons in my hand looked about like half the size of my palm. And I would just like scoop up a little bit into my hand. And as I was walking down the stairs into my car and unlocking my garage, I would just like chew them and eat them out of the palm of my hand. Because that's that's really um, not I would forget. Yeah. Okay. So this is a perfect transition because I wanted to ask you about your morning routine. So obviously eating seeds is part of your (laughs) morning routine. It used to be. So I, I kind of, um, I like to experiment on myself. So I'm not doing seed cycling anymore. I've moved to a different season of experimenting on myself, but, um, my morning routine, I would say is probably more boring than yours. Um, (laughs) I'm not that exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We, when we have a golden retriever and so he likes to like get up and go outside and be fed and watered and pet first thing in the morning. So typically I'm um, helping take care of him. And then I do try to shower every other day. Um, But that's always good. Yeah, I know. Right. (laughs) Cleanliness. I don't know if my poor thin hair would be able to handle washing my hair more than that, but no, just fall out. Um, but so I would say that I don't get in a meditation until the afternoon. So Monday is going to be my, or not Monday mornings are my best time of day. My brain is going, Mm -hmm. it's on fire. It likes to be used. Um, so I really use and harness that. And so I actually think meditation for me is very calming and very relaxing. So I'll do it in the afternoon when I kind of need to pick me up. Um, I like that. Yeah, it's. I, it, I don't know. I just find that I would just go back to sleep if I tried to meditate for too long yeah. in the mornings. And so I just moved to the afternoon. Interesting. Do you do a guided meditation or can you do it on your own? I'm doing Headspace at the moment. I've heard a lot of great things about Headspace. I'm obsessed with Headspace. Um, I think one of the things I'm most obsessed about it is that it teaches you skills. Mm. And so it'll say like, this is a body scan, you know, look and find a light and, you know, act like an x-ray machine. It'll like scroll down your body. And so I'm sitting here like thinking about sometimes when I'm in like really inflammatory meetings or when patients are getting upset or at at me, like something's going wrong or whatnot, I'll just like body scan. And I'm like, calm, 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 calm. As like a Xerox machine down my body. So I think that's one of the things that I I love most about Headspace is that they actually teach you skills you can use outside of just meditation. Right. Um, and they have like one minute ones. They have three minute ones. They have sleep stories. They have all sorts of cool stuff that you can play around with. Oh, very cool. And the guy's voice is very relaxing. Excellent. It's- <laughs> that, that is the key. I've looked up a couple different, um, even just meditation videos on YouTube. Yeah. And it really has to be the right voice, like the right pace at which they're talking to help you relax and calm yep. down. Has to be the right, like, um, you know, can't be too high, can't be too yes. bass. Like it really needs to be that perfect. Yep. You know who oh. one of my favorites is, is Deepak Chopra. Yeah. He actually has an amazing Pandora station. 
And there are some songs where he's speaking in the background and some songs are just instrumental. But whenever I'm feeling like I need just some chill out calm time, I'll put that on in the background. And there's something about his voice that is just so incredibly soothing. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to check him out. I've, I've heard him speak before, but I've never actually listened to his meditations. Yeah. No, he's awesome. Sounds great. Okay. So the last question I want to ask you, this is more of a fun question. Um, what is something about you that most people do not know? So I'm not quite sure if this is embarrassing or not, but I actually am obsessed with the Fast and the Furious movies. Like Paul Stop. Walker hooked me in when I, you know, whenever they first started coming out and I love them. I still go see them like opening day in movies. Oh my I actually gosh. got an autographed picture of Vin Diesel when I was like, 16 and he I mailed him a letter and was like you're my I'm your biggest fan I want an autograph photo and he sent me one back oh my god so I've been a loyal Fast and the Furious fan for a very long time which is really funny because I know nothing about cars that I is just, hilarious <laughs> oh so, my are there seven movies or I think eight? there's like eight now okay Maybe, I think a ninth one's coming out at some point, but there's like a bunch of cast drama. I don't know. I was listening. I was reading an Instagram thread about it the other day. And I will have to admit, I've never seen one. I will say that they were a lot better at first. I feel like they're getting away from like the family value of it, the like Mm. the cool cars and the show, the showcasing, they're getting more into like stunts and like action fighting. And I don't know, that's not really what drew me to it, but you start something, you can't like stop. Right. You're, you're, you're now invested. You I'm invested. Till the end. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. I love that. I love just little fun facts about people. That's totally unrelated to what you do. Yeah. hundred percent unrelated. So. <laughs> well, this was awesome. I'm so excited about this episode. So thank you so much for being here. I'm so appreciative of your time and just your knowledge. You are just a wealth of knowledge. So thank you. Yeah, this was super fun. I love this. And I I appreciate you and, you know, building this community and your friendship. So. Oh, awesome. And I will make sure to, um, link anything in the show notes, um, that would be helpful for people, but why don't you share your Instagram handle, the name of your practice and where people can find you? So we are Minneapolis Integrative Medicine Center. We are in Northeast Minneapolis. And right now I use the Minneapolis Integrative um, handle as my, or the Instagram account as kind of like my, also my professional platform because this girl ain't got time to manage two Instagram accounts at the moment. (laughs) Um, So MPLS Integrative MC is our Instagram handle. um, And that's where I try to post as much free content, upload our, um, or update our blogs and stuff like that too. And actually we should have talked about this earlier, but can people work with you if they are not local in Minnesota? Technically, yes. The relationship looks a wee bit different, um, because I would be considered a consultant more than your doctor, but honestly, it's just a wording difference than it would be a, you know, a really care based difference. So, okay. Awesome. Well, thank you, Cassie. Thank you so much for listening to the Health is Wealth podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of you. If you love the show, share it with a friend you think would love it as well. Also, please leave us a review if you feel called to do so by going to iTunes and sharing your honest thoughts and what you would like to hear more of on the podcast. Until next time, remember, your health is your greatest wealth.